Hello and welcome to episode six of series two of the Poolside Pass podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be stepping away from the pool and looking more specifically at uh, land work or dry, dry land training for swimmers with our guest, Chris Ritter. Chris uh, is a bit of a subject matter expert in strength and conditioning. Um, and Chris will get into that once we get into the interview. Uh, before we get started, here's just a quick word from our sponsors, Streamlined. Become a qualified swimming teacher with Streamlined in as little as six days. Learn at your own pace and be guided by our expert tutors. You can do your training face-to-face, online in real-time, or a combination of the two. Assessment can be in your club using videos or attending one of our assessment venues. We offer tailored, high-quality support. Quote the poolside pass for an extra 10% discount. Okay, so I think it's about time I introduce Chris to the podcast. Chris Ritter, welcome. Thanks, Jamie. Happy to be here. Hey, good to see you. So why don't we just start by... um, getting a bit of background on you you know how you got into into coaching and, and the sport yeah i've kind of been you know one of those lifelong swimmers started at an early age doing the summer league thing and at some point kind of graduate into all right i want to do this crazy thing year round and swam in high school and in college as well um in college i didn't swim the full four years i actually wanted to coach and i knew i wanted to coach really seriously and so i swam for two years and then the last two years, I became a personal trainer, uh, got a bunch of certifications. And by the time I graduated college, I was in charge of hiring, firing, training uh, personal trainers at a local gym and doing their education. And all through the last few years, too, instead of swimming in the water, I was a swim coach for multiple levels of kids, anywhere from summer league to age groupers that were in the top 16 in the country to high schools. And uh, then I started helping out with the college team that I used to be a part of and specifically with their, their dry land programming and how do we implement what we're doing on land and make it actually produce results and not just get them tired in the water. Did that for a little bit and then moved out to the East Coast and was able to be a part of uh, the team elite there for the 2008 Beijing Olympics where we had Cullen Jones, Mark Gangloff, both won gold medals, uh, Cullen, of course, on the most famous relay. <laughs> They're probably in Olympic history. Um, so, yeah, so I got to work with those guys for a year. And the club that it was attached to uh, at that point was one of the largest clubs in the country. And I developed the dryland curriculum for, okay, all the coaches on staff. And at that time, I think it was 20, 25 coaches. How do we take kids when they're eight and under all the way up till 18, but then also set them up for future success, right? Like we don't want them to necessarily peak. And I mean, goodness, we're seeing that now, especially with the ISL, like, you know, people continually putting out best times later into their twenties and even thirties at this point. So I think it's proving that the more athletic a swimmer can be, that's definitely going to help them enhance their career and the longer runway you can give them for that, who knows what the limits can be for them. Well, you look at um, the likes of Anthony Irvin, you know, oh yeah, Olympic gold medal, uh, when a lot of people would, uh, would consider someone, someone of that age to, to be kind of uh, washed out in terms of their athletic career, right? Yeah, 16 years between his goals, I think it was, right? 2000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and he's definitely an athlete and and you know, putting the work in and yeah, people may shrug it off as oh, he's a sprinter, you know, that only works with sprinters, but even with the distance swimmers, I think you can see they're hanging around longer, they're able to um, you know, produce more. And I mean, Katie Ledecky, Dryland's a huge part of her program. And so it'll be interesting to see how long she's able to be as dominant, right, as she is in something like that. Yeah. 
So today we obviously uh, we're going to talk about uh, strength and conditioning uh, for swimmers. Uh, it's an area obviously like you've just established. You've done uh, a lot, a lot of work in this area. What would you say, uh, just from your experience working working with swimmers, what are the most important movements uh, for swimmers to master on the land, and, and how do they relate from the land then in, in, into the water? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question, Jamie. I think a lot of coaches and especially master swimmers, you know, they're self-coached too. They're always saying, all right, what's the, what's the best exercises, right? Like what's the most swimming specific? Yeah. And I think you actually need to really zoom out first and look at the 30,000 foot view. And from my perspective, what dry land needs to be is two main goals. Number one, is it making the swimmer more athletic? Can you see that? And there's a lot of different ways you can quantify athleticism. Is it, you know, movement, uh, mobility, flexibility, strength, power, lots of things fall under that athleticism umbrella. So becoming more athletic, number one, and then number two, becoming stronger. And the reason we want them stronger is when you look at strength, it's the bottom base of this pyramid that then you can build off of power and endurance. And that's where you start to get, you know, swimming specific, right? Like the 50 freestyle is going to want more of that power end. Whereas the Katie Ledeckis of the world, they want more of that endurance end, right? But you can't get either unless you have a foundation of strength. So those are the two main goals we start with, with any kind of talk about dryland is is your program and and you can just assess it and look at that and ask yourself a question okay me looking at this does it look like i'm going to get myself or my swimmers more athletic and is it going to get myself or my swimmers stronger uh and then from there we can start to dig in a little bit more to like movements and and things like that and with movements we put them into five buckets really so there's pushing pulling squatting hinging and bracing and really important much more so than any specific exercise in any of those buckets is what's the ratio of the exercise you're doing to one another. And specifically, how much are you pushing versus pulling and how much are you squatting versus hinging? And most programs I see, most swimmers that I work with, when they first come to us, they are way on the wrong end of the spectrum of they're squatting, they're lunging, they're doing all this stuff. And then we show them what a hinge is like, Oh, I've never seen that. I'm not doing any of those things. And similarly, it's, it's easy to get into the same uh, improper ratio of doing a lot of pushing compared to pulling push-ups, overhead presses, bench press, things like that. And neglecting pull-ups, rows, things of that nature, especially if swimmers can't do a pull-up, right? Like it's kind of hard if it's either they can or can't. (laughs) And there's not a lot of middle ground unless you know, okay, how do I kind of scale this exercise? So I think unfortunately, a lot of swimmers programs tend to be in the incorrect imbalance ratio of more pushing and more squatting. And what we found is if all we do is just focus on changing the ratios to make it be at least one to one. So one squat exercise, one hinge exercise, one push exercise, one pull exercise. If we just even get the ratios even, or if we go a little bit more to the edge of more hinging and more pulling than the counterparts, shoulder injuries just disappear. A lot of other aches and pains just disappear. And so it's really not one exercise is, you know, the key that unlocks it there. It's more of, again, looking at are we helping that swimmer become more athletic and strong? And then it comes down to looking at those five movement buckets of exercise categories and making sure the ratios are balanced out or more to the pulling and hinging side. How much of, how much of that do you think um, is kind of 
rooted down nowadays in what um what a lot of people call like instagram coaching is they'll see something <laughs> done on instagram and they'll just think oh that that athlete top level athletes doing that exercise that would just right. be my, my my dry land program going forward now <laughs> yeah i almost equate it uh jamie because i've been trying to think about ways to, like communicate this and um i don't know if you've ever done like uh, an in-person cooking experience, right? And definitely before the shutdown, right? <laughs> but it, it's kind of, I feel like it, in some ways it's similar to that where you can take a picture of a, a meal and think, oh, wow, like I could do that, right? Or you, you could just see, you see maybe, oh, that piece of meat and that vegetable and you think, oh, that's all it takes and, and I could make that meal. And it's probably not gonna look A, anything like it or B, taste anything like it. And I feel it's similar with these Instagram coaches, you termed it where, you know, Hey, here's the breaststroke specific exercise. Here's the backstroke specific exercise. And I feel like they're way zoomed in. And I don't think anybody's trying to be, you know, uh, uh, misleading on purpose. Right. I think it's just, they're not seeing the bigger picture of the athleticism component. And if I just balance these ratios, a lot of the injury prevention just then becomes automatically embedded in the program. Yeah. I think, um, certainly something i've seen a lot in terms of um i'm in a load of kind of facebook groups for swimming coaches around the world and you see people saying oh, i've got a swimmer he's a good breaststroke has anyone got any like an age group swimmer any good dry land workouts for a breaststroke swimmer mm-hmm. and you're sitting there thinking but it's an age group kid he just needs to be right. working on being a better athlete right <laughs> yeah and 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 too like as a coach i always was under the the assumption of yeah. Okay. And even in high school, college, yeah, th- you may have one or two really good strokes, but let's keep working all of them because you never know what th- that's going to end up looking like. Actually, one of the athletes on that team elite for Beijing, he w- actually was representing the Bahamas, but he was a distance swimmer growing up and then got a scholarship to go swim with David Marsh, who you've had on the podcast in Auburn. And he ended up being a 200 butterflyer. And finally, in civilized, you know, and, and he, they didn't even do any of the distance stuff because it's like, hey, they needed points. So, all right, you're going to fill this role now. And so I think that handicaps kids potential. And so it's not to say you don't want them to develop their best strokes. But I think just like in the water, if you develop all four of the strokes, it's going to give the swimmer a better overall career. Same thing on dry land. Don't just say, oh, they do breaststroke. Let's only find breaststroke exercise. In some ways, you're making it worse in terms of helping them become unbalanced when you really want them balanced because if they just stay in the water and that goes back to the athleticism key in our dry land goal if they just stay in the water they're going to get better right it's when the injuries pop up that then they can't swim consistently you know when you're out of the water anything other than covid related right then that that's really comes back to dry land is just about keeping swimmers in the water because then you can work them more consistently and harder you know, you look at one of the reasons Phelps was so successful is what? It was eight years where he didn't take a day off or something yeah. crazy like that. And how many swimmers get that opportunity? But because these aches and pains, especially around the shoulder, they just can't swim or they mm-hmm. can't swim at the level that their coach is wanting them to. So I never want dryland to become bigger than the swimming, right? But how can dryland complement and actually help you train harder in the water? And I think yeah. that that takes some purposeful thought and, and planning out with that, not just here, I'm going to grab some exercise to go YouTube search or Instagram search for, you know, the magic exercise that unlocks it all. So we spoke there about you know, your five key kind of sections of this. Mm-hmm. I think it's like the, the push, the pull, uh, the squat, the hinge, and I think it was the lunge, right? Brace. Oh, the brace, sorry. Yeah. How can um, 
coaches make sure that they can um, deliver a, a dry land program of these exercises uh, safely, you know, in the event there's a lot of clubs out there that can't necessarily afford like a professional SNC coach. So yeah, yeah. the kind of basics that, that coaches really should know about this stuff. Yeah. So that was one of the big uh, thoughts behind Jamie. We did this huge new uh, website rebuild and uh, surge-strength.com is where it lives in the surge strength Academy we have Dryland 101 courses where people can register for free and go through that. And so right now, I think there's five or six courses and we're going to build more as we go forward. But one of them is about writing workouts. And we walk you through that exact process of, okay, all right, I have these five buckets. What does that look like? You know, how do I account for the time, right? Because we don't want this lasting an hour and a half or two hours. Like we got to yeah. get in the water and get some work done. And so how do you, how do you balance that Dryland doesn't take that over? Uh, another big one is, what are the best core exercises to do? And that's our bracing category. And how do we kind of build that up? That's important for any stroke, right? Like if a swimmer is rigid and has a good body line in the water, we know they're going to be faster. And if we can develop that on land, and sometimes that's as simple as, are they even breathing correctly? One of the first steps a lot of people skip off is, you know, are, are they big chest breather, you know, using their shoulders and, and chest, or are they able to belly breathe? And even just answering that question Oftentimes, if you fix that, there's so many other positive domino effects that happen as a result of that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so we, we, we've put a, a bunch of free resources out there already with these Dryland 101 courses. And then if people want to take the next step, you know, they can go and get Dryland certified now. But yeah, it's a, it's a big process. And I've always tried to make it as simple as possible. Because yes, we can always geek out on stuff. I geek out on swimming all the time. But I found coaches would just always get confused or almost overwhelmed with Dryland, right? It's like, oh my gosh, like, where do I start? There are all these exercises, you know, YouTube, Instagram now. It's just, it's an overwhelming feeling. And so rather than uh, necessarily trying to talk it at the highest level possible, I'm not trying to dumb it down. I'm trying to just make it as simple and as effective as possible. Like, all right, here's the three phases you should rotate through. Strength, strength, power, power. Here's the five exercise categories you need to make sure you cover in every workout. And for ease of simplicity, if you have an hour workout, you're probably going to be able to have two circuits with one exercise in each category in the circuit. Boom. And you got 15 minutes to do some function exercises at the beginning, then you're done. So it's just a simple formula that coaches can follow that takes away the overwhelmness of, oh my gosh, all right, I have to write the water workout. I got that down. Now I got to write this dryland workout. And then it just seems like it's just so much. And then I think that's where coaches go down the rabbit hole of, all right, well, I just got to find the best breaststroke exercise and plug that in, you know? Yeah. I think that's a nice little um, segue in, into the next question. So when, when you've got your, your pool timetable, set out for for the cycle or for the week mm -hmm. or whatever what then would be kind of the, the frequency and the timing of of a good snc program around that you know do different types of work in the water complement the stuff on the land and, and all that kind of stuff yeah so i think if you can have dry land uh, a dry land component every day that's best and what i mean by that is maybe one of those sessions is a 15 minute dynamic warm up, and the athletes doing some specific stretches based on their assessment needs of, you know, if someone's got a really tight shoulder or tight hips, they do a couple exercises for that before getting in the water. 
And I think that actually makes your swim time more effective because now you don't need to do, you know, some four, four, four warmup or something like that, where it's just 15 minutes. Like let's get them sweaty on land for 15 minutes and actually do some good functional movement things and then get in the water. So even if you can just bake in things like that, I think that's a start. If you're not even thinking of, Hey, I could just put in 15 minutes each day before the session. Like if that's your starting point, that's great. I think that's better than nothing. Then if we have bigger chunks of time, um, and I would say ideally it's an hour, you know, for, and we're talking about what high schoolers and, and older, probably for the younger kids, you can get away with less time. And, and that's a whole nother topic. I think we're going to get into a little bit later on, on, on specifically what you do with yeah. them. But with, let's say, you know, we're talking high school, college age swimmers. If I can get an hour with them two times a week, it, that's okay. And if that's all I have in my schedule, I will make that work, but I'm not going to expect a lot out of that. If I can bump it to three, that's like the, the sweet spot there. Yeah. And at four, you could do four if what you're doing in the water can really take a back seat. So let's say, you know, right after a taper meet or maybe at the start of the season, somewhere where you know both the intensity and or volume isn't going to be a big factor, then that can be beneficial. Bump it up even four, even five times uh, sessions on dry land. But going back to the bigger picture, when we talk about this in the surge strength drown certification of kind of three levels of planning. So you got your season plan, your weekly plan, and your individual session plan. And the weekly plan is what I think a lot of people uh, just set at the start of the season and then they forget it. They just say, all right, you know, on Monday I'm doing aerobic kick, Tuesday I'm doing IM, we got our dry land here, and they kind of forget it. We talk about using that dynamically throughout the season. And having that be the link between what you put as your season plan and what you're actually doing for the session. And each week I recommend, all right, let's look at everything from the swim sessions, the dry land sessions, and identify what are your top three or four sessions. And it could be either all in the water, all on land, or a mix. But you as a coach need to know, okay, where am I at in the season, right? Like, am I at the start, beginning, or end? And that's going to change your priorities. Once you've identified those top three or four sessions, you need to make sure you're doing the best job to set your athletes up. So for instance, let's say it's a test set Wednesday, right? Where you're doing this specific set in, in a block here for a few weeks, probably the worst place to put an hour of really intense dry land is like the morning of that or right before, right? Cause you're just going to yeah. mess that up. So that doesn't make sense. You need to say, okay, the priority is this test set dry land maybe needs to take a back seat this week. And I think, Coaches need to know that's okay. And it should be kind of a, this balancing dance throughout the season of sometimes, all right, dryland gets priority because, all right, we're just kind of doing regular stuff in the water. It's nothing fancy. There's no meat. There's no test set. All right, priority can go to dryland. And being okay to just go back and forth with that. But going back to the question about how many times, if I can get three times a week of an hour and as spaced out as evenly as possible, like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, that's going to be ideal. And much more than that, I don't think you need to do that unless, like I said, you're really dropping volume and intensity in the water in those specific times of the year. Mm. So uh, we alluded to it uh, just there in terms of uh, age group, dry land and, and things like that. Um, there's a lot, a lot out there. Um, you know, I used to go, I still do it, obviously not in COVID times, but you go and visit certain club programs all, all around, all around the country. And, you know, there's so much variation in what people are doing. And you see something one week and then you go somewhere else the next week. And you say, oh, I saw these guys doing that. And they're like, oh, I can't believe they're doing that, man. That's so bad. 
Um, <laughs> so w- what are the kind of big myths around dry land for, for age group swimming? You know, what can they do and, and what, what should they stay away from? Yeah. Before I answer that, Jamie, I'm curious, what does anything come to mind where you've heard coaches say, Oh, that's so bad. Or, or they, they point out one thing that, that they think in particular for the younger kids isn't great. I'm curious. Um, so squatting is, is something that a lot of people have been like, what they squat. And, I, and I'm standing there thinking, yeah, but they don't just like squat. Like the kids obviously know how to squat, right? <laughs> No. And that's, that, that's a great point. And I ask that because I even forget what people still have objections to at that point. Right. And it's probably because they themselves either got injured or know someone that got injured. And it goes back to, okay, it was probably a case of either too much, too fast or incorrect technique, or it's just something way over their heads, right? Like, especially if we're talking about like a nine, 10 year old and you're throwing them an exercise that's um, for a much more advanced athlete. And so in and of itself, squatting, it's actually one of the five categories we have for movements. So absolutely, <laughs> I'm going to have swimmer squat, but what is that squat going to look like? Is it just a body weight squat? Am I just working on them getting down to 90 degrees and being able to balance and have their knees be stable over their ankles the whole time their chest up and not look like a wobbly giraffe, right? Like that could be, that could be our exercise. Or is it an overhead squat where they have 135 pounds over their head with a barbell and they're going down as deep as possible? Like that's a very different range, right? Yeah. And I think coaches need to understand, like when we go back to those five categories, that uh, there are exercises along the spectrum that you can go with the most beginner and the most advanced. And we kind of break it down in the the certification into basically three levels. And we can have swimmers get really good results, even if they're just at level one. If they never go to a level two, level three exercise, you can still get really great results because you're staying within what the athlete's capability of. Yeah. And I think that's where coaches see searching out for that perfect exercise, right? That, oh, we got to get to that magical exercise. And they're looking at it the wrong way. You need to look at what can the athlete do? What are they capable of? What's their limitations? Where are they at in terms of training history, their knowledge, their motivation? And then how does that fit into what's the best exercise? Um, And I tell that to coaches all the time, like it's not the goal to get to level three. Like if you can, that's great. That means you have more variety of exercise to choose from. But if for whatever reason, you're limited to just level one exercise with a kid, that's fine. Just stay in level one and work it. And you're going to see great results because you stayed disciplined and not given them too much. Then we go to the injury thing where we talked about. And now there's your worst case scenario. If they get injured in dry land, that's like the worst thing I feel like as a swim coach, like you've messed up royally because they got injured, not even doing their sport. And now they can't do their sport for probably a long period of time. And now they're going to get worse because they're just sitting on the couch at home or, or having to rehab. Um, So long introduction, (laughs) Going, going back to like the kids. So in terms of even, I think lifting is a big thing where when, when, when can the kids lift, right? Like when, yeah. when should they be doing weights? And a big one, that. <laughs> yeah, we, we boil it down to, there needs to be two questions that are answered uh, yes or affirmative by the athlete for that to happen. One, are they interested in it? Because if they're not, I'm not going to try it. I can, I can do a lots of other things, right? If I'm going to have to drag this athlete into the weight room and have them pay attention and have them take this seriously, 
you're, you're just barking up the wrong tree. I think you can do other things. And then the second one is, are they able to listen and pay attention to instructions? So if they have those two things, we can do external resistance with them. We can actually use weight and that unlocks a lot of better ways to actually scale workouts. When you're stuck with just body weight only, it actually really limits what you can do. And going back to those ratios, you always end up squatting and pushing too much because mm. that just is what is lends itself to body weight only uh, programming. It's really hard to hinge with body weight and it's really hard to pull if you can't do a pull up. You're, you're really limited in what you have. And so I actually want my athletes, it, it, the, the younger they want to answer those two questions, yes, then I'm all for that. And I'm going to meet them at that level, right? Like a 12 year old who is just starting to do some external resistance, that's going to look way different than a 22 year old who has six years working with me, right? So yeah. again, just because they're lifting doesn't mean we're like, oh, we're doing Olympic lifts now on day one. and We're, we're trying to get the barbell overhead. That, that's not what that means. But the nice thing about having external resistance, whether that's a dumbbell, a barbell, a, a medicine ball, even a cable machine, bands, anything you want to name on that, the ability to scale it really helps then individualize the program. And that's where we get back to, you really need to be athlete specific more than swimming specific. And so if an athlete can't do a push up and we have no equipment to us to be available, all you have left is what angle they're doing that push up from or what tempo. And that's really it. And that's really hard. And that takes a lot of intense coaching yeah. to get some quality reps out of that versus if you have some dumbbells and we've answered those two questions, yes, they're interested in it and they're going to listen to instruction. Well, now we can put them on their back on a bench and maybe they can use a five or maybe they use a 10 or a 15 or 20. And now we're able to very easily scale just where we want that intensity to be. Whereas with body weight, it's kind of all or nothing. And we can do a little bit by changing the angle of like an incline pushup or, you know, on your knees or something like that. Um, so yeah, so with kids though, the other big thing, when we're talking about ages like 12 and under, Jamie, um, and this is going to be counterintuitive to a lot of swim coaches because I appreciate the, the bigger picture of where they're seeing this is swimming is great for delayed gratification, right? And it's about yeah. the process. It's about doing things. Well, actually with 12 and unders, I don't want that on dry land. I actually want to be focused on the results because I'm asking them, how big can you jump? How fast can you run? How I want to do lots of different movements and coordination things. And I'm not worried about coaching or teaching them. I just want them to get excited about doing these different kinds yeah, of movements yeah. and, and being athletic. And then once, once they start getting probably past 12, 13, 14, somewhere around there, you start to add in just a little bit of coaching cues. And the problem with a lot of coaches is they go overboard and they just want to coach it. And everything needs to be perfect, right? Like your pushup needs to be perfect at age 12 or 13. And well, that's good. You want that. If you go too hard, too fast, kids resent dry land really quickly. Yeah. And then now you've kind of ruined that for their career. And so there, again, that goes back to this dance of like, when they're 12 and under, I want them to be just excited to do some stuff on land. Like, let's do some, a lot of game oriented stuff. And in the surge strength, dry land certification, we have over a dozen games that we go over of like, hey, this is actually dry land training and great for 12 and unders. And this is really going to set them up for an athletic base that then you can use. And when they're answering those two questions, yes, yes, I, I want to do lifting and I'm going to listen to instruction. Well, if they have this, this athletic base of being able to skip, hop, run, jump, it's going to be a lot easier when we get in the weight room versus if they can't do any of that, 
I mean, <laughs> it, it's tough sledding there. It's tough sledding. Even the best coach is going to be challenged with the technique uh, that you're going to be having to teach any of those five categories. So with, with that, once they get to about 15, 16, then we can start to focus ex- almost exclusively on how does it look, getting back to that process-oriented thing uh, that most swim coaches are so accustomed to. But I think the, the mistake I'll make, again, is for the younger kids, they try to force that in. And I just think they're too young for that on dry land. Like, let's just have them be athletic, be, have it be fun. And then you start to flow into that as they age up. So I think that's, th- those are a couple of big things coaches can think about with their dry land. So obviously during kind of those age group years, um, mm-hmm. especially with, with the girls, it happens a little bit later, later with the boys, they have that kind of key growth period of, of mm-hmm. peak height velocity. What, uh stimuli on on land is it appropriate to be exposing them to during that kind of key growth period um to kind of mitigate any injury risk that might develop there yeah so with the injuries that goes back to assessments and testing and we have a number of assessments that we encourage coaches to do on at least a yearly basis if if not a couple times and if if you really want to do it we would recommend before season mid-season end of season because then you can start to see that, especially like you said, some of these kids hit growth spurts where they're just jumping up, you know, a couple inches over the summer. If, if you're not kind of tracking that, all of a sudden a kid may have grown a lot, but their muscles are really tight because the muscles haven't caught up with the bone. And so now all of a sudden, you know, a few months ago they had great shoulder mobility, but now it's like, oh man, like I, I don't know, or they don't know where their limbs are. And so maybe their overhead squats just looking really wobbly. And so we have basically key solutions for every assessment and test that we do. So if the kid scores low on the overhead squat or shoulder mobility, okay, here's kind of their homework. I would assign them and say, all right, you're going to do these few exercises. It could be as little as two every day, morning, night, before practice, after, and just something as simple as that really helps mitigate all that stuff. But if you're not doing the assessments and tests, you're, you're not sure where you should be aiming at, right? You're not as focused. And if you can narrow it down to, okay, just these one or two things, this athlete, and it's different than this athlete, and it's different than this athlete, that's where you can really get it individualized. And again, being more athlete specific than stroke specific, I think that's going to be better in the long run. But it's all about the assessment and the testing process. And if you don't know, you know, what they're testing or assessing like, then again, you're just leaving it up to chance and guessing, hoping and praying it's not going to turn into an injury. Is there anything that's like a big kind of absolutely no go zone for someone that's, that, that's growing at a fast rate in terms of what they're doing on land? As long as their technique is good, as long as you are following uh, one of the strength and conditioning principles we talk about in the cert called uh, the progressive overload, which just means you just want to go a little bit at a time, similar mm-hmm. to in the pool, right? You're not going to go from 4,000 yards to 6,000 yards to 8,000 yards, you know, one, two, three weeks in a row. And so if you're following those principles and you can always just use your coaching eye, right? Most swim coaches know what good technique looks like in the pool. And they're probably going to be able, even if they don't know all the exercise and all the cueing, if they look at an athlete and they're squatting or they're lunging or they're hinging or doing any type of movement you can name, if the coach can look at it and say, that looks good, probably good technique, right? Like most coaches are just going to have an eye for, oh, oh, that they don't look balanced. That that doesn't look good. (laughs) You know, you could just trust your gut like that as a coach. And as long as they have good technique, as long as you're following progressive overload, anything is game. 
and it goes back to if an athlete assesses and tests really poor, you're probably going to be at a lower level of exercise and that's fine. Just be disciplined to keep it there. I think it's when coaches go undisciplined and they say, no, that's okay. We can go, we can go level two or level three exercise and let's just go, go, go. I think that's where usually the danger happens and injuries happen in dryland when it's too much, too fast. It's not appropriate for them in terms of how their assessment and testing data looked. Um, and then also too, their, their maturity level, right? Like, are they really invested in it? Or are you dragging this kid into the weight room to try to do this stuff? Mm. I think um, what you're saying now about, you know, there's level one, level two, level three, and it's, it's okay to be at level one and you get good gains out of level one. Yeah. That's, I think that's, that's a really important point. I think um, it's, it's the same in like when you're training in the pool, you know, not everyone in the, in, in the pool at the same time is going to be doing exactly the same set because some people will get an adaptation out of a certain level of, of volume or work or whatever. And others people might need a bit more and it's the same principle on land, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're not always going to have the, the one interval for your whole group, right? I don't think any swim coach has that where every swimmer is on the one interval. And so it doesn't make sense to me why every swimmer would be doing that. And that's one of the things we talk about in the certification of where I think the overwhelm comes where the coach is like, okay, this athlete here, they can't do any pull-ups. This athlete here can do 20 pull-ups. How do I make a dryland workout for both of them and run it as a group? Yeah. And that's where when we break it down and we say, okay, let's say you're going to have two circuits, five exercises each, one of each category. Well, if you know that for your pull exercise, it's pull-ups, that athlete's great. They're doing the 20 pull-ups. And if this athlete can't do any pull-ups, you go to your levels and you say, all right, level, level two, I think uh, is pull-ups. So there's a bunch of other op options for level one when they can't do a pull-up. So you just pick one of those. And so now you're able to write a group workout for athletes that can't do a pull-up and that can do 20 and still basically run it all together as a functioning group. And I think that's where it comes all together for the coaches to say, okay, now I get it. Yeah. Because if you're just, you know, going to your high level athlete, your low level athletes are probably going to get injured at some point. Right. And if you're gearing it towards <laughs> yeah. your low level athletes, your high level athletes are like, all right, well, what are we doing here? Like I'm bored. Like when are, when am I going to get challenged? So being able to kind of break it up like that and give coaches just pieces where they're just mixing and matching, that's where you can really individualize the training, but still run it in a group format and know, you know, we're covering all our bases with ratios and programming and all of that stuff. That's the, I think that's, that's the big challenge for, for coaches, both in the water yeah. and, and out the water, is when you've got, when you've got a squad of swimmers, you know, like you say, they're not, all, they're not all of the same interval, and you've got to be able to individualize it and split it down into little groups. And I think um, just for, for a lot of people, it seems to, they, can, they can do it in, in the water because they've got separate mm -hmm. lanes and they can split it across. But, but on dry land, it, it seems, seems, to be, seems to be an issue. But um, yeah, it's a, a great point that's been made there. Yeah. And that's actually one of the dryland 101 courses too, like building the pull-ups. So we show you, and again, that's a long one for people that, you know, it seems so far to go from zero to just one pull-up. And there's actually a number of just small steps you take. And so that's where you can just identify where's my athlete in this development. You know, let's say they're at the dead start of just trying to even hold themselves on the bar for a second or two, or like I said, they're doing 20 bodyweight pull-ups you can just see, okay, hey, my athlete's here, my athlete's here, and just continually progress them. And even in just a few months, I've taken plenty of swimmers from zero pull-ups to multiple bodyweight pull-ups, but it's just about following that progression 
and not going too hard, too fast and just figuring out where are they at? And I mean, when the kids start seeing improvement, that's where the buy-in really mm. happens. And then yeah. they're more motivated than the coach, right? Absolutely. Um, when you can see progress, everything's a lot easier, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, there'll be coaches listening here that, that um, they're interested in, in developing their kind of strength and conditioning uh, skill set a little bit more. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your strength certification and how coaches could, could get involved with that? Yeah, so our new site is surge-strength.com. And that's our hub too for the academy, where again, you can just register for free, check out the Dryland 101 courses. And all of those Dryland 101 courses are basically just small previews for what the Surge Strength certification is. So they're actually taken directly from the certification. So if you like what you see in the Dryland 101s, go ahead and dive on in to the Surge Strength uh, Dryland certification. It's now at uh, about 200 lessons. They're average about six to seven minute videos. And so if you just took less than an hour a day, you can finish it in a month. And if you want to go all in, you can finish it in a weekend. You know, it just depends how motivated you are to get through. And you still keep access to all the videos, whether you just register for the Dryland 101s or you get the cert, you can just refer back to it anytime. Um, we do a podcast as well. So it's Jamie, it's awesome to see you joining the swimming ranks of, you know, having us have more swimming podcasts out there. I've been doing my other one for years now, the Swim Coaches Base podcast, but we have the Surge Strength podcast that's just dry land specific. But uh, I know you guys have, have been recently, you know, pumping out some episodes. So it's just always glad to see more podcasters out there in the swimming space. Yeah, we, uh, we did a load of episodes during, uh, during our lockdown. Cause we oh, just yeah. Had loads of time to, to get on Zoom calls with people and and run some interviews and then I have to take a little bit of a break through the summer. Just, <laughs> just <laughs> no, it's awesome. Keep up the good work, man. But yeah, surge-strength.com is where people can find links to basically everything to the Instagram. We'll put out uh, a lot of videos from the certification as well. But yeah, I think it's going to be a great resource. And again, helping coaches not feel overwhelmed. And where do I start? What do I do? How do I coach a group of kids that are really athletic and not athletic at all? in that hour time that I have. So we're trying to help all the coaches solve that problems. And also too, if they're interested, we do online training programs for swim teams and swimmers worldwide through our app. And they'll find all the information as well on the website. Cool. So just before we finish off, um, we always ask our, our guests to kind of sum up their topic in, in three key points. What would be your three most important points for coaches to consider when planning a strength and conditioning program for, for swimmers? Yeah, so you have to always ask yourself on a regular basis, if I just look at this dryland workout, if I look at my swimmers from this week to four weeks from now to four weeks before, are they becoming more athletic? Are they becoming stronger? Looking at those ratios, I can't emphasize that enough. Like swimming, shoulders are such an issue for swimmers, right? And that's just the worst thing. But if all you do is just focus on pulling to pushing ratios and making sure you're doing at least equal, if not a little bit more pulling exercises than pushing, that goes away. And I think the last one is just meeting the athlete where they're at. So again, you know, how are they answering those two questions? Uh, are they just at level one exercises? You know, are they really advanced? Wherever they're at, that's okay. Just the best program is always going to meet the athlete where they're at. And we're giving you the resources to figure out what that is and what those options look like. Cool. Excellent. So uh, on that note, we'll, uh, we'll finish up the episode. Chris, thank you very much for your time. 
Um, where can uh, listeners um, find uh, Ritter Sports Performance on social medias? Yeah. So at surge.strength is our Instagram handle. And then our other Ritter one uh, is at RitterSP.com. That one is just mainly for the other podcasts. But if you're just looking for dryland stuff, surge strength, uh, surge-strength.com, all there. And also YouTube, uh, our YouTube channel as well. That's where a lot of our exercises are. And when you're in the certification, we basically give you the list of all 800 exercises so you can easily look them up and figure out, all right, how do I program that as well? But yeah, always check out our YouTube channel as well. Cool. Good stuff. Listeners, thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Uh, I certainly have just uh, recording it in this last 45 minutes or so. If you want to take this opportunity to point you towards our website, www.thepoolsidepass.com as well as our social medias uh, at the Poolside Pass on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you to Chris, and until next time, take care. Thanks, Jamie.